We would like to thank Eminem for sponsoring this podcast and to vote for him on Willamette Week's Best Of for the Visual Artist category. Thank you, Eminem, for supporting this podcast. You know, big shout out to Evan for always being there with us, helping us design our logo, uh, being a guest on our show, and sponsoring this, giving our fans uh, that 20% off coupon. Definitely give Evan a vote in the Willamette Week. And uh, Evan, I'll give you my vote if you want to send one of those sick Dame Time tees my way. Uh, size medium, preferably color white. Just, just throwing that out there. It's crazy that he's been working with us for so long and hasn't given us any free merch. I had to pay for my Evan M t-shirt, but... It- it's all good. It's all love. It's all it's all good. It's all love, and it's well worth it. The designs are fly guy etiquette, Dustin and Sage approved. Let's go! Come on, everybody, and let's get to pumping, cause it's real crazy time. Baby, Rip City's jumping now. All right, everybody, welcome to the 40th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin from Rip City on an 11.31 p.m. Wednesday night, and I got my man. Sage, chilling here in Southern Oregon. It's crazy that we do this so late because my eating schedule is absolutely bananas now. I only get hungry at 11 p.m. trying to get that, that last meal in. You know, speaking of night owls, uh, we got to give major props to our guest. Uh, you know him on the internet as Blazer Banter. His government name is Eric Gunderson. He covers the Portland Trailblazers for the Columbian. Uh, Eric, thank you once again for joining the podcast, especially at such a late hour. Uh, the dedication is much appreciated. Well, there's no more no more Blazer games to do late night podcasts for, so uh, I'm 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 willing to do one more. All right, hey. There's always next year, my friend. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you know, there's we we all got one final late night podcast left in us after the Warriors uh, defeated the. I have a, I have a beer in my hand, so cheers to that. Cheers to that. I just ate a PB and J. Sage was talking about being hungry. I, that game made me hungry. Um, the series made me hungry. I want more of the series. Mm. Like I like I'm sad it's over. I think all basketball fans are sad it's over. You know, Clay Thompson said it was the toughest five-game series he's ever, you know, played in. Looking back at the old Trailblazer teams, even when they dispatch, dispatched teams in five, um, it was pretty convincingly. This has to go down as maybe one of the closest and competitive uh, five-game series in, in history. I think ESPN tweeted out something that said. The series ended 4-1 Warriors, but the Blazers actually held a 137-95 to advantage in minutes led for the series. That's crazy. I mean, we're looking at three missed Lillard free throws, who was a 90% free throw shooter this series in Game 4, and CJ missing three in Game 5. Those switch, I know you can't just point out to one play, but if those you know switch and they make the free throws like they normally do, we could be talking about a 3-2 lead going back to Portland on Friday the 13th. Uh, I know you can't play the what-if game, but that's pretty damn crazy. It kind of, this is, you know, it reminds me a little bit, it's in the same way, not, it was not the same amount of games, but it just reminds me of when the young Warriors took the Spurs in the second round a few years ago, like 
it, it wasn't just that the Blazers were in the second round. It was that they made the Warriors do everything, every Warriors-like thing that they had in their power to beat them. I mean, Steph had to come back and literally have the greatest overtime performance in NBA history to beat them. And we're not and, talking about a regular MVP. We're talking about the first unanimous MVP in NBA history who, like you said, went nuclear. 17 points in overtime. Just incredible degree of difficulty on the shots he's hitting. And he did the same thing tonight in the fourth quarter. I've seen still shots of screenshots. And I, I still am not sure how he got the ball over the outstretched arms of our defender. Aminu and Aminu had some uh, that that last three that Steph hit. Aminu was like right there. Like it doesn't get, get any better than that. And 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 it's it's like, I mean, they needed everything. I mean, Clay Thompson was phenomenal tonight. Like this was like it, you know Draymond was doing Draymond stuff. And 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 you know they just they needed everything that they had. I I, I just it was a prize fight. Spades hit most. Spades hit three three pointers in Game Four. Like the Warriors, like those are the, that's why they're the Warriors. Like when Harrison Barnes hits that three, like you just got to tip your cap. But like, I mean, the Blazers push these guys. I mean, I, I it may have, I mean, the Blazers next year. I mean, I think everyone's already like watching. Like they are, they're going to be like that new. They're going to be one of those teams that everyone's talking about, uh, which is going to be hilarious because they were not that this year. <laughs> it's going to be the complete opposite storyline going into next season and it was an incredible game it was like two prize fighters going back and forth the Warriors end up coming out on top 125 to 121 but you mentioned Clay he goes off in the third quarter I think he had 16 of his what 33 points he only misses four field goals and went six of nine from three Yet Portland didn't blink. They always had an answer, and it really wasn't until Steph took over. So you're talking about one of the greatest backcourts, the greatest shooting backcourt in NBA history, is going, you know, trying. they're trying to throw knockout punches. They're trying to put Portland out of their misery. Portland wasn't have, having any of it. They just kept coming back for more, and it's so frustrating Portland couldn't have found a way to steal a game two, game four, or game five, because this series had seven just written all over it after these last three games. Uh, that's what Dame said in the post game. actually. Tonight, he's like, this series could have gone seven. I mean, I mean, he really said, I mean, the Blazers, I mean, legitimately, they won one game and then almost won three other ones. Like, this series could have been done in five games the other way. Like, like I mean, it really it, could have. Like it, it really could have, and and I think the, I I watched the Spurs, and uh, I know that they're not technically done. I think the Thunder can give the Warriors a tough game, but it's gonna be hard for the Thunder to give, um, as good of an effort as this Blazers team did. I mean, I think they've got more bigs, and I think that is the one thing that I think could probably, you know, give the Thunder a real good chance. Because I think the one thing we saw in this series from the Blazers is that the big men aren't. Not against Draymond, at least they're not ready. You know they yeah. they 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 were okay against DeAndre and a uh, you know kind of gimpy Blake Griffin, and, but you know Draymond just you know that's the level the Blazers have to get to with their big man. I don't know if they got to get somebody else, but it's probably what they got to do. But <laughs> uh, I think the big men tonight, like that, or in this series, I think it just Draymond was just so much better than all of Portland's bigs. 
And credit to Farouk, though. I mean, Farouk was really good in this series. I mean, you want to talk about upping your play when it mattered most. He was that third scorer we've been talking about. We obviously still need another third scorer, but he rose to the occasion. Over the five games, he averaged over 17 points, shot an incredible 54% from the field, 55 from three, you know, eight and a half boards, and he's playing as good a defense as you can ask for on the best offensive team, maybe in NBA history. Uh, to think Neil O'Shea got him on a declining contract for the next three years, um, that should have won him executive of the year alone, but that's for another day, uh, another podcast. I saw a lot of upset and sad Pelicans fans saying, this is the alpha root that was on our team? They were, sure. There was a lot of sad people in New Orleans. I mean, Brian Roberts and Ralph Rook shining in the playoffs. He's only 25 years old. That's the crazy thing. Like, he feels like he's been around forever because he came out as a freshman from Wake Forest, but he's got a lot of experience in the playoffs, and he's still young. He's on that career arc with Lillard and McCollum. And speaking of Damon CJ, they were a reason why I think we gave Golden State such a tough time. Seems like the Clippers and Warriors can try to double and contain one of them, but there's only five defenders on the court, so one of them is going to get loose. And that's where I think the Thunder, if they do advance, are going to have a tough time because you just want Andre Roberson to shoot the ball at every given opportunity if you're the Warriors. Um, Yes, they have KD and much better bigs, but he is a big, big weak link, almost like Tony Allen was in last year's Memphis series with, with Golden State. That's why Deion Waiters, baby. Like, uh, hey, he hit that big three in whatever game, game four when they won and come back, came back that game. I mean, it's it, they're edgy and they're kind of they're rough around the edges. But I mean, the Blazers were rough around the edges too. You know, like like I feel like you can't you, you can't gotta you gotta have wild cards. You know, like like Draymond, like you gotta have guys that might have a little bit of a screwed loose if you're gonna play against Draymond Green. Like seriously, like. Like, I, I'm not saying that Dame and CJ have a screw loose, but they know how to mix it up. You know what I'm saying? Like, the way that they were throwing shade at Draymond in the media, the way they were going right at him, like, that's the type of attitude you got to have. And, you know, Russell Westbrook has that. Uh, Steven Adams has that. And, you know, that they are going to give a pro- they're going to be a problem. And I think the one thing that the Blazers showed everybody. Thunder, Spurs, Cleveland, whatever. You cannot be afraid of Draymond Green. Like no. you just you and the Blazers and that credit to the Blazers because I think Draymond Green intimidates a lot of people and intimidates a lot of teams. And the Blazers showed that you know basketball is is, is at least fifty percent mental. Like mm-hmm. and and Draymond gets into your head and he destroys you before you even walk on on the court. And the Blazers never let that happen. And to me, like. That's the most encouraging thing, that they went toe-to-toe with him, with this team, and that they didn't back down, and they wanted it. You know, they really, really wanted it. And I think that is the, you know, I think that's, you know, the biggest takeaway for me is that they, the Blazers are not, like, a cute story anymore. Like, they want this. That's completely correct. And you talk about Damon CJ, but you can go down down the bench. Ed Davis goes toe-to-toe, uh, swapped, you know, verbal jabs with him after a a foul in the second half. You got Henderson, who got really chippy with Verjao and Draymond in Verjao in Game One. Draymond in Portland, uh, they had to separate them. I think they both got double technicals. Uh, this team is scrappy as as hell, and that's the type of culture that Dame talked about in that great article by by Kevin Arnovitz uh, from ESPN that we mentioned on the last podcast. Like this is the culture now. Either buy in or kick rocks. 
I, yeah, that's why, um, you know, when people get kind of scared about a Dwight Howard rumor or anything like that, I don't, it's not going to happen. Like I, I, what happened in Houston is not going to happen. Like, I, I don't want to sound like, you know, like, I, I don't want to sound like I'm drinking the Kool-Aid here, but I mean, Dame is a real dude and like, he's a real leader. And like all those things, like that anecdote about Luis Montero, like that happens every day. Like th- that type of stuff happens every single day. And, and, and he is a real leader and he cares about Luis Montero just as much as he cares about CJ, you know, like, and, and, or at least on the team, he wants to make sure that everybody's happy. And I don't think that, you know, if you bring in someone like a Dwight Howard, he's not going to get lost in the shuffle. Like, I, I just don't think it's going to happen. So and, and as long as he's serious about trying to win, that's all that matters. Yeah. Portland is in good hands with Lillard and Portland may have lost in five games, but free agents out there on the couch, maybe some still playing, they've taken notice and they actually do watch games and think I could be that missing piece. Uh, there's going to be some guys out there who are going to want to come play for Dame and who are going to want to play in front of one of the best fan bases in the league. There is plenty of opportunity, especially at, in the front court, to get a lot of minutes and a lot of touches. Yeah, I just, um, you know, Mason was so, Mason Plumlee was so good you know, against, against DeAndre Jordan and, and Ed Davis, you know, has, has, was such an important part of the, you know, not only the bench unit, but just like the fabric of the team, uh, just the attitude I thought that he brought, you know, being an ex Grizzly, like bringing that just like, you know, just like kind of a goon type of guy, like what he was saying about the Clippers before he played them, you know, stuff like that. Like, I think he's important, but I, I do think that, uh, you know, maybe if they could keep all, if they could keep both of them, that'd be great. But, you know, they're going to have to get another guy. They're going to have to upgrade there. You know, one of those two guys are not good enough against Draymond Green. They're just not. And, and or Bogut. I mean, Bogut, when Bogut was out there, Bogut was the best pick on the floor. And so, um, you know, I think both of those guys are really important if they can keep them and maybe upgrade if, you know, Cayman's not going to be back. But um, and Myers, you know, that's 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 another question. Um, it's just. Uh, you know, not all these bigs are going to be back is, is probably one of the things I'm going to say right now is this is not all the bigs are going to be back. Like, I don't know if Mason's going to be back. I don't know if, you know, Ed's got a great contract. I know fans would miss him, but you know, he's going to be, you know, uh, a guy that is tradable. And then Myers all obviously, you know, as, as we've said before, you know, going to command a lot of money may not be back either. Yeah. You're again, a hundred percent correct. And if you could just somehow mesh Plumlee and Ed Davis together, oh, God. Ed Davis is finishing around the rim. Um, Portland would be in great hands, but with the free agent market being so big man and center heavy, you've got to think that's where Portland goes. And if you do that, then you're setting yourself up to trade and find filling your holes elsewhere. Uh, what's great though, is we have a lot of movable parts. Now you look at getting Mason Plumlee for the 23rd pick in the 2015 draft. His value is so much higher than that now, especially on his contract. He's got one more year left at like $2 million, which is a freaking bargain. Uh, he'll be a restricted free agent next year if he's still on the team and the team does not come to a contract extension agreement. But he proved that he is a really good starting center. He's not an elite one, but you can make a deep playoff run with Plumlee as your center. I don't know if you can win a title with him. Right, I guess, yeah. I guess it depends on your the players around him, but... He was definitely a lot better player this year than everyone around the NBA 
gave him credit for or even thought about last year. No, 100%. I think, I think Plumlee's a really good player. I'm not trying to say that he's he's not a starting caliber center in this league, that he isn't a guy that, that you know, can play late in games. It's just against certain matchups, basically just this one, honestly. Like, out of all the matchups that they've had that they could have gotten, you know, maybe the Spurs. I mean, he, he can't – he's not really a rim protector. And I think that's the other thing, too, is that the Blazers just – you know, when you have a guy – you know, Mason Plumlee would be so good as like your backup center. I mean, he's a good offensive rebounder, great passer, uh, you know, not a great finisher. I mean, he's kind of just a better version of Ed, you know, without, yeah. without the, without the finishing. And, and, and uh, if they could get a guy that could just on those pick and rolls could finish and just be a threat to against who, even if it's a great rim protector to finish at the rim, like, you know, that, that's, uh, I think that is a, a next step for this team. I think, you know, I think they should keep AC. I think they should keep uh, Mo. you know, and, 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 and if they can keep Gerald, that'd be good too. Cause I think Gerald is a very playable veteran that you need. You know, I think, I think you do really need a guy like that. And uh, I don't know if you can keep the whole band back together. It's, you know, you got to see what else, the, what the market's got. And, you know, there's also guys available for trade, but Blazers have a lot of cap room. Huge, you know, the, the cap is skyrocketing. It's a unique opportunity. You know, they're yeah. not going to. Yeah, it's and, it's and it's an interesting thing you were talking about about Plumlee. We have definitely handed out our fair share <laughs> on this podcast. We gave him his due for his, his great performance against the Clippers, but the fact of the matter is, he's a situational center who doesn't go up strong enough around the rim and is limited to really pick and rolls. And when he was not going up strong in this series, that part of his game was taken away. Um, but to touch, to touch on a couple of points that you mentioned, I definitely think Harkless and Crab have to come back. Uh, both players really shined in the playoffs. And Crab, I was a little worried about because he had such a great January and February. You talked about this being hit on the last podcast you were on. This is right. his first time that he played a lot of minutes, so maybe he was struggling down the stretch with the fatigue. But after those first three Clipper games, dude was nails, and he was clutch, and he was confident, and you know he cool gets breeze tonight. Seven of nine field goals, five of seven from three. I mean, he averaged almost thirteen points on sixty percent shooting and fifty three percent from three against the Warriors, the best team in the league. Uh, you definitely got to bring this kid back because it, he's only going to get better. And he played pretty damn good defense. You know, there's only so much you can do against Clay Thompson, but he did about as good of a job as you could ask for. Yeah, and, and I thought that, you know, they they I thought maybe he didn't really play that well in game in game two of the series, but he if he had been on the floor more in the series you know it maybe it's even a better series you know like if he's on the floor earlier uh especially in game two late in that game when they they went with Harkless and Aminu and things just kind of got discombobulated at the end of game two but I think both those guys have to come back I mean Mo is 23 it's his birthday you know today as we're recording this May 11th and uh, you know, he's shown so much and he's the perfect guy really to start next to CJ and Dame. I think AC 
can be your sixth man for however long because you need that offense when when Dane goes out of the game. And if you can have Harkless and if you can bring back Harkless as your three, a guy who doesn't need the ball, who just offensive rebounds, cuts, and shoots open threes, and you just let CJ and Dame handle everything else on the starting unit, I think that's the perfect guy to put around them. And you look at – you mentioned Gerald Henderson – uh, I love the scrappiness, but overall I was pretty underwhelmed with his performance, especially shooting the basketball in, bo- in both series. Um, from a, for a veteran player, I expected a little bit more from him. I'm not saying that's going to steer me one way or another, whether, whether I would want to bring him back. Um, but with Portland having cap holds and trying to really make a splash this summer, I think they're going to have to choose between Crab and, and Henderson. Um, I would go with Crab, but do you think this, this these playoffs are indicative of what Henderson is, or do you think maybe he just had a couple bad weeks of, of hoop? Well, I don't think he's a good passer, and I think that is 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 one uh, very important thing that you need in today's league, as we can see with the Warriors having five guys on the court that can pass. I mean, I think we saw the value that having a passing center can do for you. I think having passing at all positions is very important. He, he I think he did really improve, though, as he understood how the Blazers' offense worked. He found his shots more. He learned how to shoot the three better. I think he really also just gives them a veteran know-how. Like, I, I really do think that having a guy that just comes in, has been in the league for as long as he has, just knows how to play, knows how to be in games, knows how to stay ready is a good example. And, you know, I talked to guys about Gerald, you know, earlier in the season once he started playing. And, you know, you ask him and they just like, he just does veteran things. It's like elbowing a dude off the ball, you know, or, you know, just a little nudge under the basket when the ref isn't seen or something, you know, little things like that. And, you know, I think having that type of stuff is important. And I know Dame is a great leader, but after Chris Kamen leaves, I mean, there is going to be a veteran leadership vacuum. And I think having a guy like Gerald would really help with that. Do you think he would be OK being the seventh man off the bench? Uh, he started on nearly his entire career in Charlotte. This is his first year coming off the bench, likely his last big shot at, at a long term deal. Uh, do you think he would be okay with this role, or do you think he is uh, ready to move on uh, and become a starter again? You know, I haven't talked to Gerald about this specifically, but I think Gerald wants to win. And and, and he played for the Bobcats. You know, like he yeah, was... Yeah, not the Hornets, the Bobcats. The Bobcats. He never... Yeah, you know, he played for the Hornets one year, I guess, right? And, and, and he played for the Bobcats. I mean, he's basically... Uh, besides Gerald Wallace, he's the other Mr. Bobcat. And, like, that dude doesn't need to be... He doesn't need the usage rate. He doesn't need the touches. He, I mean, he's going to get the touches on the second unit, whatever. But, like, I think he showed this year that he wants to win. He wants to be a part of something. And I think, you know... Uh, the Blazers took notice of that once, you know, he started playing. I think it's probably part of the reason why they didn't trade him other than, you know, maybe not getting in a lot of whole, whole lot what they wanted. But I think also it was just the value that he brought to the team that, you know, Dame really liked Gerald. You know, the team really gravitated towards Gerald. Like Gerald was part of the group chat with the guys, you know, like 
he has a he was a part of this team, and I think that probably does count for something. And uh, he's still really athletic. Like it's not like he's he's washed. You know, he has a lot in the tank, and I, I think he's a, a great guy to have uh, if they can keep him. I, I I think actually, you know, after what he did this year, I think he's also open to market up for himself. It's not going to be as as open, I think, as Harkless or or Crabs market, but. I think Henderson has a very good market. I think he had a pretty good year. He had a fantastic year, and you look at him when he first started to where he is now, it's light and day. Uh, I know I was on like the trade Hendo for a draft pick almost as soon as we got him. And then, like you said, he does bring the veteran presence, and he started to bring a nice scoring pop off the bench. Um, and he's still under 30 years old, so he does have room for improvement. I don't think what he is is a finished product. He could still improve his jump shot, which I'm sure he's going to do uh, over the summer. I don't think he's ever going to be the passer we need him to be. But if you're typically, if you're on the bench, you're looking for specialists. And sometimes you just need guys to go out there and get buckets. And I think I think he he's shown that he can do that, and and he's also tough. You know, he's a real tough defender. And I think we saw that you know the Blazers had that toughness about them. You know, and I think that that came from obviously Lillard and and McCollum are both you know tough guys that you know didn't get to the NBA in an easy way. But I think guys like Henderson that you know has that muscle and like that supercharged explosiveness, and like you know he's a dookie, you know, no nonsense, like. Yeah, I, I think it helps. You know, I think I think it helps to have a guy like that. So, um, I'm I would I, I think the Blazers should try and get him to come back. But you know, it, it'll be interesting to see if they can. I mean, they do have a ton of flexibility. That's the one thing to remember. Is like they are very very flexible. Like Cayman's coming off the books. Brian Roberts is coming off the books. You know, like you got lots of guys that are going to be free agents, and uh, they're they're going to have a lot of options. Speaking of free agents, uh, I believe we had you on after game two versus the Clippers. Uh, Portland had just lost back-to-back games in Staples by 20-plus points, and we were talking about Myers Leonard and how he would have had a nice impact on those games, being able to stretch the bigs of, of the Clippers out and open up the paint for our guards. We got past the Clippers without Myers, and we were very competitive without Myers in this series. In fact, in the regular season when we won by 32, Myers only got late you know, garbage-time minutes. I know Myers is happy for his teammates, and he would never, ever think this, but I think the performance the Blazers did, in terms of Portland's perspective, drove his value down a little bit in terms of, okay, we really need to, we went from we really need to bring this guy back to um, maybe it's a toss-up at this point. Yeah, and I, well, I you know I always thought Myers' number was still going to be high, and and as much as I I you know you you'd like to think, especially from Portland's perspective, that that the success Portland had would drive his market down. I I don't know if, you know, when they're a couple months removed from it, oh, I he's still going to be a 7-1 center. Line. He's still going to be a... Like, I, I think he's going to get... Okay. Not like the, oh, sorry. the big market, just... like what he might get. Yeah, and I, I wasn't saying... In, I think he's going to get a big contract regardless. I was thinking in terms of Portland's perception of him, ah, his, okay. his value might have been a little bit lower to them because... Oh, we made it this far with uh, without a hurt Myers. I don't think he would have been the difference in this series. I do think if we had a, we would have lost to the Clippers, he would have been a bigger difference. And then maybe you're going into the offseason thinking, man, if we only had Myers, we would have beaten the Clippers. I don't think that's Neil's thought process right now. Um, 
as of May 11th. But again, a lot can change. And yeah, I fully expect Myers to get a big offer. Everyone's going to get a big offer this offseason. No, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think this probably did give Portland probably a little comfort that, hey, you know, like we don't have to pay him if he gets a $17 million a year deal. We don't have to match it. Like we're not in that position. Like, you know, and uh, cause they probably would have been like, oh gosh, you know, you know, we, we need Myers, you know, kicking themselves. Like, what do we do if they had not gotten past the Clippers? And I think that, yeah, if nothing else, this, this helped at least it helped them see, I'm sure it helped the Blazers, you know, talent evaluators just as much as it helped the Blazers that, you know, these got the best that those guys on the court in this series had was pretty darn good. So after we've seen the Blazers, Take you know, take the Warriors' best shot and really push them, make, making them earn a five-game series victory. You're Neil O'Shea going into the offseason. What are probably two or three key areas where Portland should look to improve at? Uh, I definitely say big. Uh, I think you know we all are in agreement there, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think big. I think you look at a guy like Al Horford. I think you look at a guy like I mean they're going to have Max Caproom. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot of people are saying they can get a CJ extension done this summer, which, you know, if Portland can lock that, lock that down, that'd be pretty smart. But uh, I, I know there might be some cap things, though, that may make them want to wait uh, until CJ actually becomes a free agent to then give him a max deal. Uh, but if they can get a, a good one anyway, uh, big, I think is important. A guy like Al, Al Horford, um, you know, is a guy that comes to mind. He's probably the best center that's available on the market and then i think dwight howard would be a good uh choice i really do i think dwight um you know dwight had some some problems in houston and you know he he has that back and 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 i think that is probably the biggest concern i wouldn't say that the concerns about dwight are mental or locker room based i i just it's more about just its physical condition and i do think if you bring him into a situation with mason plumley where Mason Plumley can play a lot of the heavy minutes most of the season, uh, and you can kind of say you can kind of measure Dwight's minutes until the playoffs. Like I think that is a situation that would work well for Portland. Uh, but yeah, I think big is where you look first, and and then retaining AC to me is is the the number one priority in terms of guys that they got to keep. You know, Mo is important, but I think AC is is number one. Yeah, if I'm Neil, I tell. AC and Mo, their agents, hey, just wait to, to get your offers or we will give you this much because we can go over the cap to sign you. Uh, let us spend this money first and you know we'll take care of you. Uh, from all accounts, Neil O'Shea is a very player-friendly general manager. Uh, knows a lot of people. Yeah, you know, Has great relationships. So lock those first um, before you make your, your commitments um, elsewhere. And you mentioned Dwight. He is up for that $30 million Supermax because of his tenure in the league. So that's the most he can get. Yeah. <laughs> Measuring his minutes, I don't know if Portland can – if they can make that risk or if they can take that, that plunge – um, spending that much money on a guy you're measuring through the regular season. I think they need they need a horse. I think they ran out of horses against the Warriors. I think they need a guy who can just go with them for 40 minutes a night, like with Dame and CJ and Chief um, and, and Mo and all those guys. Yeah, and this is the one thing I'll say. 
it, yes, Dwight is eligible for that Supermax. But did you guys watch TNT last night? Of yeah. Course. Did you see the teams that he's rumored with? It, it, it's, he seems like a guy that is in image management control. And taking less than market value to go to a small market franchise seems like the number one most endearing thing that he could do to get people to fall back in love with Dwight Howard. So it's yes, the 30 year, the $30 million a year max would be pretty scary. And I'm not saying that Portland or anybody is going to get him to do it. But if there was a time to get Dwight Howard to take below market value, this is the summer. Like this is it. Like, and you're, you're going to get a control, you know, a Dwight Howard that is saying all the right things that it, it is, you know, wants to win and has also seen that the grass is not always greener. Like he, he's, you know, so to me, it's the back. But and, and I think there is a chance that he could get below market value just because I think his image, you know, management is I think is really a thing that he's doing right now. I completely agree. And if I'm Portland, I definitely make a run for Dwight. I think he would definitely help this team. I see if, like, to your point, if he would take take a, a less than a max, because you, you can't, if you're Portland, shell out that $30 million because then that's all you can do unless you make trades or just hope for internal growth. My my fear is that everyone's going to have money, so some team is going to be like, yeah, we'll, we'll give it to you. We've seen, I mean, no free agency deal has ever left me surprised, because You've seen everything over the course of the past, what, 20 years since free agency became uh, commonplace in the league. So it really comes down to, do I take this Supermax offer from a team or, like you said, Eric, manage my image and maybe endear the fan base of, of the league that, hey, I'm taking less. I'm going to a small media market. I really want to win. And that's what Chuck and Kenny were grilling him. Like, you, this is your last contract. You have never won a championship I never won a championship as a player, and I'm talking as Charles Barkley. Uh, <laughs> you need to take take your your time with this and make a smart decision. Like it's not all about the money; it's about that about that hardware. Yeah, and I, I think that that is the type. You know, that's the. I think that's how Dwight is going to sell himself. And I think if you're Portland, then you're like, okay, Dwight, if you really want to sell yourself like this. Can you be okay with being the third best player on a team, getting the third most touches after Damon CJ? And are you going to be okay with getting less than what Hassan Whiteside is going to make this summer? You know, like, like, are you going to be okay with that? And so uh, that is it, it is going to be an interesting conversation. I'm sure that there's other centers that they are going to look at, and there's centers that are healthier, that are, you know, maybe fit Portland's offense a little bit better, like Horford, but... You know, Horford reportedly wants to be in a market that, you know, has more Dominicans uh, and uh, reportedly and, you know, he, he is living in Atlanta right now. But, you know, I'm hearing that he might leave Atlanta. So, you know, that's um, it, it, there's going to be a market. Um, there's going to it's free agency is going to be it's going to be interesting now. Like, I mean, it, like, I mean, if I'm Neil O'Shea, I go into the meeting without Horford. And I'm like, have you seen Damon CJ? Do you remember playing with Dennis Schroeder? Do you remember that? Do you want to go back to that? Like, I mean, the Blazers have a good – the Blazers have a pretty compelling case. You know, you say Damon CJ. My number two thing would be have Pam Biche cater that meeting. I know it's not Dominican, <laughs> but it is Cuban, and it is so damn delicious. So, you know, that can be his spot. I mean, come on, Al. We got the goods here in Portland. Number one food city in America. Um, Luis but Montero. 
Exactly. But back to Dwight Howard, you mentioned not being a great fit in the offense, and I see that as well. We are a heavy pick-and-roll team. Dwight does not like to run the pick-and-roll, or at least he hasn't done it. I know Houston doesn't do a lot of it because Harden is a very ball-dominant guard, but even in the limited time with with Steve Nash, it didn't seem like they did a whole lot. Um, I think that has got to be a huge... um, talking point when you're when you're talking to Dwight about possibly joining the team if they do indeed do that because Terry is not going to change his offense this offense has shown that it works he's one of the elite offensive minds um, but you have to make sure the guy is on board to playing a pick and roll offense because that's the bread and butter of this trailblazer team yeah and uh but I do think that there is something to be said for the fact that even though you know, Portland doesn't have a, you know, after LaMarcus left, Portland didn't really have a post dominant. I think they posted up less than like any team in NBA history or something crazy, some crazy statistic about not posting up. But I, I do think the fact that everybody on the floor, like Noah Vonley touched the ball, like, like, like it, it, White's going to get to touch the ball. And I think just touching the ball and being involved in the offensive possession and not just, you know, being window dressing for James during, you know, they were talking about the thunder and all of a sudden he goes, you know, when Cantor gets in the game, they're throwing the ball right to Cantor. And I was like, if Dwight's interested in that type of role, like, Oh my God, like then the Blazers are really talking. Like if you could get Dwight to be your, like imagine Dwight in the Chris Kamen role from two years ago, like just eating off the bench, just coming off. Like, I know that he would probably have to pay a max deal, but if you could get him to come off the bench because what you have with the starting lineup, it already is pretty good, you know? Like, it'd be a hard sell, obviously. Dwight's probably not going to do it, but, like, it it would have to, you know, you run the offense through Dwight when the bench is in the game is what I would say. Like, he could start the game still, but come out early, you bring in Mason, you start the second quarter with CJ and, and Dwight, you know? And, like, that would be a really monstrous lineup. That would be really tough to stop. So assuming Portland locks down um, a very good, maybe elite center in free agency, do you think they can win big moving forward with Aminu and Harkless playing the three and the four? Um, I'm not saying trade either one of them, but do you think Portland might need a more traditional power forward or even just an overall upgrade at that power forward position? I think Aminu could be the guy. I think Aminu is like the perfect four. If like if Dwight Howard is your guy, like or or Al Hor- or you know if you have Horford in the middle, I think Aminu is like the perfect four to put against a rim protecting. You know, to have a, with a rim protecting guy like a Dwight or an Al Horford, you know, a, a, an elite big man. I think I think Aminu would look really good next to a good center, and I think he'd be fine. And I think you know Harkless. It's good, but I think all, I think also in crunch time, I think we saw against the Warriors that in crunch time against really great defenses, you need AC. Like, you need a guy that can create, that doesn't need anybody else to do anything for him. You know, like, they can just give the ball to AC, and you be like, AC, go get, go get your 17-footer, and he can get it. You know, like, that's – and so I think that uh, – I think they need to keep both – if they can keep all three of those guys, that would be a, a great place to start. I know it's early, but um... – a couple predictions. Portland has never been a huge free agency hotbed. The biggest free agent sea fish that I can remember in my lifetime were Rod Strickland in uh, summer of 92 and Brian Grant in the summer, I think, of 97. Um, does Portland land a free agent that Rip City is generally stoked on? Like, we were all excited we got 
um, Aminu and Ed Davis, but does Portland, do they get somebody that makes the rest of the NBA go, wow? I think they do. I think they, I think they will get someone who you're going to be like, wow, like that makes them better. I do think that they will get someone this summer uh, that, that you can just look at on paper and you're like, the Blazers took a step in the right direction. And I think that, that people will notice that not, I think last summer was definitely the summer for the bargain hunting for the undervalued moves. I don't necessarily see any of those guys out on the market now. You know, I, I don't, I don't see that undervalued guy. I think that the free agent that Portland brings in this time is not going to be like the free agents that they brought in last time. I think it's going to have to be a big fish and I think it will be. Um, I mean, it's just a, just a prediction, just a guess. I don't know. I'm sure that I'm, all I'm saying is that they're going to try. They're, they're going to go, they're going to go after those guys. They're going to go after the big names. Uh, and, and, and I think that they really do have a legitimate shot at landing them because who doesn't want to play with those, with Damon CJ, like who doesn't want to play with them in yeah. an off that shares the ball i mean really like uh it's it's like the perfect storm for a big man so um i'm excited to see it you know it might be wishful thinking but i'm in the same boat i think portland does get a a really good free agent um again we're not talking like durant or 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 lebron but some guy that is going to push portland into the upper echelon of the western conference um a guy that opposing fans are going to be like damn it you know this blazer team is you know, just another team to go through in the gauntlet that is the Western Conference. Uh, one other prediction, Portland does not have a draft pick in, in the current uh, 2016 draft. We all know Paul Allen's affinity for the draft. A lot of teams have multiple two, three picks. Do you think Portland not necessarily trades a player, but do you think they buy their way into the draft, whether it's the first or second round? You know, uh, Paul loves draft, and and Neil Neil O'Shea loves himself the draft. I mean, he he like he will tell you, like he like I think one of the first press conferences I ever he was like, I'm a draft guy, and you know, in in his Neil O'Shea voice, and um, I yeah, I mean, I could definitely see them uh get, getting into the draft, as you said. There's teams that have a ton of picks. Um, I don't necessarily know if you know you know if they want to offload one or two of them. I mean, I could see Portland buying a pick. I, I could see them doing it. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know if I'd predict it, but I could see them. I could see them getting into the draft. If, you know, if they like a guy, they do their homework. I mean, Neil's a good GM. He's going to college games all year. I mean, they keep their eye on it. So if you know if they like a guy, they'll go get him. I'm sure. But you know, it's not that easy either. Uh, you know, it's always very complicated. Uh, but it's always possible. A few years ago, now it's almost impossible. First round, at least. I mean, the Phoenix Suns were offloading him like, uh, you know, just like hotcakes. Like here, have Rajon Rondo. No, yeah. have Lou Aldang. Have Rudy Fernandez. Yeah, back in the day when they just like didn't care about first round picks because people didn't know that they actually were worth something. Yeah, I mean, and Neil's track record with the draft is pretty damn impressive so if he does make a move into the draft uh, I think all fans should be excited because it means he's got his eye on somebody and the dude really doesn't miss second round finds Damian was a gem at six Myers all things considered you look at that draft the rest of the first round there's maybe a case for two or three guys other than Myers so that was technically that was a good pick um he CJ McCollum I mean how does that dude slip to 10 but Neil goes out and finds him goes all the way out to, you know, small town Pennsylvania, uh, 
Yeah, he's, I mean, he, I would even say Thrill Barton. Yeah, like true. Will Barton. Will, Will Barton's good, a good, good NBA player. Like, and 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 he was a second round pick. Uh, yeah, I can't even remember really any of. I mean, I'm sure. And guess what? I'm sure Connaughton's going to be good next year. Like, I'm sure Connaughton will be a, a a guy that can play. Like, he people say that he can play. Like when the when the the young guys play pickup, like. You know, I heard one day in the locker room, Noah Vonley was like, yo, I want Pat. Like, I want to be, you know, like the young guys, you know, Pat's good. You know, he's he dressed every game. Uh, obviously, it's hard to get on the court, but we've also seen that, you know, the Blazers kind of do honor that pecking order type of thing. Of when guys were here, like Alan Crabb did his time, waited, played. I'm sure that Connaughton will get more of a look next year. And I think that's another guy to keep an eye on. I remember when I was uh, my last year with the team, the 2014 year, that was AC's rookie year. Every press conference, Neil O'Shea, or after practice, you know, we've got internal guys like Alan Crabb. Like, he would always name drop Alan Crabb. And I guess, you know, as a, as a fan, you may be rolling your eyes, like, yeah, right, Neil, you know, you're just hyperbole. You're, you know, trying to inflate your own guy. But he was right on with it. And to your point about Connaughton, he was very shaky early on. But then once he started to get some playing time uh, later in the season, he showed a nice handle. Um, an improved jumper. He's got a nice stroke. I think this summer is going to be really big for guys like Pat and Luis and Cliff because uh, Pat's contract's guaranteed, but Luis and Cliff, they are uh, not not necessarily guaranteed. So it's going to be a big summer. It's going to be a fun summer. And uh, Portland's going to find out a lot about what they have going into uh, this upcoming fall. Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to see if, if, if guys like Alexander and, and Montero can stick. Um, you know, it's going to be tough because the Blazers are not going to be in the same position that they were. You know, I think last this this past year they were really in a position to take on, you know, high upside guys, just see what they got. I'm sure they'll take them to summer league and stuff like that. Um, you know, and, and they were really cheap, too. Um, and, but... Uh, yeah, no, I, I think it'll be interesting to see if those guys can stick. I think Alexander, you know, he he was a great recruit. Uh, he didn't get to see much floor time, but uh, he also dealt with some injuries here and there. Uh, Montero got to dress, and I think and Stotson said, you know, that it was based on merit. You know, he he had Luis when like when when Luis dressed, it's because dressed ahead of Cliff, it's because he earned it. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, Luis is an interesting player because he's like a six seven point guard. It's it's a weird, uh, and he has looked a little. Um, I, I think he looks better. You know, he, he plays loose, but I mean, he's got a good stroke, and uh, he has a, a kind of a weird game. But you know, he 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 can play. You know, and uh, yeah, no, he he can definitely play. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see summer league, obviously, but but um, yeah, this team is going to be they're going to be fun next year. I don't know who's going to be back. I don't know who's going to be on it, but the the off season is going to be fun. This is a fun team. It's a it's a it's a fun time to 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 follow this team. Taking a quick break from the Blazers and looking around the NBA, uh, the Warriors and the Cavs both punched their tickets to the conference finals. Do you see any way that we don't get a rematch from last year's um, classic series? I wouldn't count out the Thunder. I mean, I, I mean, I. I I, I think that the Warriors, uh, they showed some small vulnerabilities um, that if you have guys like, I mean, Westbrook and Durant, you know, probably, you know, they are, you know, a more monstrous version of Damon CJ, really. Like, they're just a more, more dominant, harder to stop version of that same problem 
problem that the Warriors had with Damon CJ. And then you add the fact that they have bigs that can get buckets that are not scared. Uh, you know, I am worried about Cantor, uh, you know, as a, in a pick and roll situation against them. I think that's the ultimate light, but he didn't look that bad. You know, like I, I think the thunder could push. I think the thunder m- might give a better fight than the Cavs. I think. I mean, what the Cavs are doing right now is really impressive. I, but I think. I think the Warriors are going to have some tough. Like this is going to be. I, I mean, this is going to be tougher than anything that Jordan went through. I'll tell you that much. Like the, the Thunder and the Cavs are going to be mad tough. Like that. This is going to be a fight. Yeah, Portland pushed Golden State to five, but they weren't resting any starters. It was you know nip and tuck every game. Whoever comes out of OKC, San Antonio looks like it could be a six or seven game series. But then you've got the Cavs who could potentially sweep again, and that would be three straight sweeps, and they would be rested and healthy. Um, that's why I think the Cavs would give them the, the toughest challenge just because of the fatigue factor at that point in the season. I have a caveat on the Cavs, and this is, this is it, is LeBron has to be ready to match Draymond. Like, because I don't think that I know that the you know the love fry LeBron lineup is working against the Hawks and stuff like that's great. It's not going to work against the Warriors and uh, I LeBron is going to have to play the four. He's going to have to play the five. He's going to have to match with Draymond. He's going to have to set screens and he's going to have to let Kyrie take over because I think the one thing that the Blazers showed is that if you got some guards that are not afraid to go after at the Warriors and can make some tough shots you he's got to trust Kyrie he's got to let Kyrie go and he's got to be the guy that's setting the screens that's getting Draymond in space chasing him around I mean you saw how much trouble Aminu gave Draymond you can't tell me that if if LeBron commits himself to doing some of the same stuff that Aminu did that it's not going to be successful so I, I think it, it it's all up to LeBron that is uh, to me the, the the big difference in the Cavs series because LeBron has has been in charge and all this stuff, but he hasn't really played the way he needs to for the Cavs to ultimately be successful, I think. And last year, maybe it was because of injuries, but I think he's going to have to play a different way than he did last year if the Cavs are going to advance or, and beat the Warriors. Yeah, last year it was LeBron and, and the four amigos. His usage rate was sky high, and it, truly it had to be without Love and Kyrie. But yeah, you're you're right. Kyrie needs to get into that paint and open up the shooters because they've got knockdown shooters. Love, Fry, J.R. Smith, uh, Delavadova can get hot. Uh, I mean, they, they have a ton of shooters, and you're not going to be able to double team. So I, if LeBron is committed to being like a facilitator, they're going to be very tough to beat. Yeah, if, if LeBron is setting screens, making those plays out of the three-on-two, like if – if he's making plays down the lane, I mean that is that's the only way. But it's it's just to me it remains to be seen whether LeBron is going to commit himself to playing like that. Only Eric Spolstra has gotten him to play like that, <laughs> and a little bit of help from from Pat Riley. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean they've got like a mini mafia up in Miami. I'm excited for it though. I think yeah, I think the Warriors still win the title, but I, I think it's going to be a fun playoff. Yeah, I think on our preview pod. I took the Cavs over the Warriors, but I did take the the, the Thunder over the Spurs. So I was hopefully that that pick comes true. Um, how crazy is it? I know Lamarcus was technically getting one extra playoff game, 
But how crazy is it? Is it if he goes to the Spurs, they win six six games, and he only gets one extra game in the playoffs than the Trailblazer team that he probably thought left for dead. It's a pretty remarkable story, um, and I'm sure uh, I'm sure you guys loved watching. Uh, just like a lot of Blazer fans on my feed loved watching Lamarcus last night. Uh, looked like old times, huh? Well, we saw that. I mean, this is vintage Lamarcus. He has the ability to shoot the lights out of the ball. We saw it in games one and game two against the Rockets. He did that same thing uh, against Serge Ibaka and the Thunder early in the series. But when it comes to crunch time, he's very inconsistent, especially with that jump shot. And he's never been known as a clutch player. He's definitely had his share of game winners, especially over the Mavericks. Uh, We all saw on those uh, firsthand. But this is LaMarcus Aldridge. I don't think he can be your alpha, your horse, the guy you're going to say, hop on, I'm taking you to the finals. He's a nice second or third player who can hit shots when things are going good. I don't know if I want the ball in his hands when the going gets tough. And that's not trying to be a bitter, salty Blazer fan. Um, that's just from watching nine years of LaMarcus Aldridge in the Trailblazer uniform. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kawhi is the number one guy. Like, I mean, LaMarcus didn't go there to be the number one guy. Like, Kawhi is the number one guy, and I think, you know, it, it obviously wasn't all on LaMarcus last night, but he did miss some shots that you would think LaMarcus makes. But, like, that is also kind of what his story is in the crunch time. Like, it, it, it that's just kind of how it's been. I mean, I don't think it's, it's necessarily fair. It's probably just bad luck that he misses at those times. But, you know... Um, at the same time, uh, he hasn't shown an ability to make those shots late. I and mean, it's not, it just seems like he, you know, and, and, and Kawhi uh, needed to step up and he didn't. And, and then LaMarcus, you know, also didn't step up. I just think the Spurs, the thing is the Spurs have been here so many times, but they've not been here when their two best guys are Kawhi and LaMarcus. You know, they've never been here with that. And so that's a whole new step. And, and you know, it, it's growing pains. And, I wonder, you know, I, I think they'll be, I think they're going to be fine. You know, I think the Spurs are going to be totally fine, but uh, it was just, it was, it was interesting to see all the Blazer fans last night because it, it, it really wasn't the same script that we've seen before. Like, I don't know if it's his fault, if he's just had bad luck. I mean, seriously, like he, it seems like every shot he takes is the same, but it's just like the dude just doesn't make big shots in the playoffs. You know, I mean, he has great games, but he just doesn't, when the pressure's on. And I think also, I mean, we all know this. He kills Serge Ibaka and Billy Donovan isn't Scott Brooks. And the light bulb finally went on. It's like, Hey, maybe we shouldn't play Ibaka on Marcus who he eats every day. Like, you know, so, uh, I think a lot of things happened in that series. I think, uh, the Spurs are still, I think in good shape, but they, I think Duncan's getting, getting old. I think Parker's looking really old. They're just looking old for the first time. Tony Parker looked human in the playoffs. He came off that curl, and I expected that shot to go in and the Spurs to take that game. Um, Again, I wouldn't be surprised if they win in one game six and then one game seven, but this is still a Spurs team that blew, uh, I think, a 3-2 lead against the Clippers in last year's first round. I know Kawhi got better than they did Adla Marcus, but you mentioned Duncan. This has got to be his last year, if not second last. He looks just gone. I mean, for 40 years old, he has been amazing but it, time might be catching up to him finally. And you got to wonder if, if this might be the end of the Spurs being elite. I think they're still going to be good with a Kawhi Aldridge duo, but in terms of contending, they're going to have to find some, some help elsewhere because 
Tim, Tony, and Manu, I mean, those three guys, when they were balling, just completely irreplaceable. Yeah, and I think Tony has some years left. Like, I think he can still play. But, you know, I think for if it's Timmy's last year, I wonder if it's Manu's last year, too. You know, I think those two guys are pretty pretty in the in the winter of their careers uh and what a what a way to go out it would be it's funny because we were talking about how durant was going to go to the spurs like three days ago and now i mean this is just my guess i think he's going to stay i think yeah it all depends on how how far okc does how far they go a lot of people speculate he takes a two-year deal with a player option that way he can opt out and get even more money um I think it just depends. Like if they, if they win and then they get fleeced by the Warriors, he might rethink things. Or if they have a competitive series like the Blazers did, uh, that's what's crazy about free agency is it's still you know a month and a half away and a lot can change. Uh, but it's pretty late right now, Eric. Twelve twenty six a.m. on a god a Thursday morning. Uh, hell of a season by our Blazers. Give us your overall. You covered this team from training camp all the way up through the conference semifinals. What are just some of your overall takeaways that you will remember about the 2015-2016 Trailblazers? Um, you know, I'm going to remember a lot about this team. They were they were really impressive, and I think it, it, it did start, you know, it started with Damian Lillard, obviously, and I think on the first day when he had the media day, he, you know, he said, you know, he's like that he wasn't going to be the hero. And I think that really that, that with him saying that, that everyone on the team believed that, because I think that the perception nationally was that Damien was the hero, that Damien was like the guy that was pulling everything, that it was just, it was Allen Iverson and the Sixers, you know, it's like Damien just pulling these guys who were all trash and wouldn't play. And I think that him instilling that that confidence in them was kind of step one. Stotts instilling an environment of we're going to learn from our mistakes, we're going to educate, we're going to teach, you know, we're going to get better. I, and I think I think those two things go hand in hand. I think you know Stotts and Lillard are are, are A and B, you know, on the day to day. Obviously Neil is the mastermind of it all, but the the day to day it starts with Stotts and Lillard and. And, and I think then after that, you know, CJ having the game that he had in the first game of the season, 37 points, and you're like, all right, this guy's a guy. He's a guy. You know, like you just knew immediately that he was a guy. And then, but then he takes it to another level. When Dame goes down, the team realizes that they are also good. And I think that sets the stage for what we see for the rest of the season, that this team is actually good. Like, I do think that the overachieving thing is is a thing that sticks with this team, but that sells them pretty short, and I I think that that's not fair to the guys on this team that are pretty good, and they showed that they are good, and they won, and they improved, and they're young, like just because our expectations were so bad. We can't. We, I'm not putting that on them, and that is the one thing that I want us to take away: is that we should not put our messed up expectations on them now. Like they are a good team; they are going to be good. They have two really, really good players that should be all stars moving forward, and they have a ton of cap room and a great coach. So I think 
what I took, what my major takeaway from this team from this season is is that they're a really really good team. Sage, that's a tough act to follow, but you've been with me since day one. You were there opening night. You saw that CJ performance that Eric was talking about. What is the key takeaway from you from the 2015-2016 Blazers? Uh, that they can compete with uh, the big boys on the big stage. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's true. And for me, this will go down as one of my favorite teams that I've had the pleasure of watching um, since I was five years old. I became a fan in 1990, and they're going to be the ones that, that, that I remember so this will be uh, a team that I'll remember for a long time just because of their scrap and their fight and their chip on their shoulder. I really hope that no matter when the, the media starts picking them to make the playoffs next year or however high they are in the power rankings, that they continue to play with that chip on their shoulder because that's what I loved so much about this team was their just kind of like FU attitude. And they took it to their opponents with that type of mentality on an 82-game basis, and they did it throughout the playoffs. Um, Eric, before we wrap this up, let our fans know where they can find you, um, find you at and all your content. Uh, yeah, on Twitter, obviously, is the one place you can find a, a lot of stuff when I'm tweeting, but not going to be tweeting as much, at Blazer Banter. Uh, the best way to find most of the stuff that I write is going to uh, – Columbian.com slash Blazers. That's where all the stuff that I write for the Columbian is. And then uh, if you want to read my blog, which, you know, I did all the film breakdowns during the series on, I do like, you know, news and stuff like that on, you can just Google Blazer banter. And the first thing that comes up is my blog. So, uh, yeah, so just check that out. And, and that's where you can find all my stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It was fun. Uh, glad I could join you guys a couple times this season. You also have a, a podcast of your own. Uh, let our listeners know where they can find that one at. Oh, yeah. And uh, the podcast will keep going throughout the playoffs. Uh, it's the Bulls versus Blazers NBA podcast with my buddy Sean Hyken, who uh, writes about the league and covers the Bulls out in Chicago. He's at the Draft Combine this week. We're going to do a podcast uh, talking to him from there. And, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of jokes about the, the league and, and, but we also have a serious take. I think, you know, kind of like, you know, you guys, you know, you guys have fun with it. You guys also know your stuff. And so I think we do too. It covers more of the whole league. So it's called the Bulls versus Blazers NBA podcast. You can find it on iTunes, SoundCloud and Stitcher. All right. Thanks, Eric. And for this podcast, uh, leave us that five-star rating on iTunes. Subscribe to our podcast. If iTunes isn't your thing, find us on Stitcher and SoundCloud at Holy Backboard PDX. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Holy Backboard. This wraps it up for the regular season, but Sage and I will come with you pretty soon with a season roundup episode, and we'll be with you throughout the summer, throughout the draft, throughout free agency, summer league. If Blazer News is happening, we will be there to talk about it. Thank you again for listening throughout this season, Portland. It has been a fun ride. One that came to an end, but I wouldn't say it came to an end too soon. It was a fantastic ride that we all are going to remember and enjoy. Uh, thank you again to Eric for, for joining us and for Sage for putting in all those hours producing this podcast. We had a fantastic time doing this this year, and uh, go Trailblazers. Audibletrial.com slash Holy Backboard for your free 30-day trial and a free audiobook. Let's go! Let's go. Come on everybody, and let's get to party.